He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. So... Donald Trump has a commanding lead over Ron DeSantis in the Republican primary. Uh, The last poll by McLaughlin and Associates has Trump at 43 and DeSantis at 28. Uh, And uh, other polls have the same same margin. Um, When you take a poll of all Republican candidates, uh, Trump has an 18-point lead. When you reduce it to just a poll of Trump against DeSantis, nobody else, he still has an 18-point lead. And that's a critical fact that that never used to be the case. Uh, It used to be that in a multi-candidate field, Trump had a lead, but not overwhelming. Uh, But when you collapsed it to a uh, two-way, the lead was substantially reduced because the all the votes of the other candidates went to DeSantis. That was the situation a few months ago. In other words, in a race with five or six or seven candidates read to the voters, uh, Trump before had a lead of only about four or five points. Uh, the, but when you collapse the field to just a two-way race, and Trump's lead was reduced because the voters who were voting for Pence or for Haley or for the other people, when they were out of the race, all went to DeSantis. Now that's completely changed. Trump has an 18-point lead in a large field and an 18-point lead in a two-way race. So those who voted for him with all the other candidates in stay with him when it becomes a two-way contest. When the other people drop out, none of them, very few of them, defect to DeSantis. His vote remains about the same. So the air has gone out of DeSantis's balloon. Uh, he uh, really was had a honeymoon after the election when he won in Florida, and everybody said that this was the template for our winning the seats that we didn't win in 2000 uh, in, in the elections of 22. And people turned to him as the savior, the alternative from Trump. Trump policies, but without Trump. Trump light. But then DeSantis committed the biggest political mistake any politician can possibly make. He moved to cut Social Security and Medicare. And that is the third rail in American politics. No politician can propose cutting Social Security and Medicare and survive. Joined now by my sidekick Doug DePiero, who is Hello, uh, Morris. down in Mar-a-Lago, right? Uh, Actually, I'm at Boca Raton at the Concorde d'Elegance at the car show. Oh God! Don't buy another car. You have ten of them already. <laughs> no, and, I don't. And fourteen motorcycles. 
to go no, with No, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Cut that in half. Oh, okay. All right. You only have <laughs> five cars and seven motorcycles. And, but no dogs. Yeah, and you like, no and you have to walk. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so, right. And you have 18 TVs, and you, you don't know how to use one of them. That's right. I don't. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> Good. So um, we, uh, we were talking about the social security cuts that DeSantis wants. And let me be specific about him. He uh-huh. wants to raise the retirement age to 70, uh, and it's now 62 to 65. So you'd have to work for five or six more years. Uh, secondly, he wants to reduce the cost of living increase uh, because he says that it's overstated. He says that it's going up faster than the rate of inflation, and it should be reduced. Uh, and he proposes that everybody be permitted to take a certain amount of the money they now pay in Social Security taxes and instead put it in a separate fund to invest wherever they want uh, so that they can get a higher return. They figure they can do better than the feds can in investing their money. And they're probably right. But the problem is then they also turn around and say, but if we're wrong and we can't make more money, you have to pay us our regular Social Security benefit. You can't take it away from us. So it, it ends up costing the taxpayers vastly more and reducing their revenue enormously because the guy says, hey, I, I bet it all on red at Las Vegas and I lost. So, you know, you got to pay me my $2,200 a month because otherwise I can't eat. And we'll end up doing it. And it's a way of transforming Social Security and Medicare into welfare programs whereas the concept of social insurance is key, which is that you pay into into it over a lifetime and then you draw the benefits when you retire, or in the case of Medicare, when you get over 65. So the uh, so these well, cuts... Not a good plan. Not a good plan. No, these cuts are real. These cuts are, are very serious. And even more interesting is how DeSantis came to support him. Um, back in 2012... Uh, Paul Ryan became the Speaker of the House of Representatives. And I'd always liked him. I'd always been close to him. And I came by and I saw him. And he had me, we spent two hours alone in his office. And we went to a lot of his programs, a lot of his plans, a lot of his ideas. And it was going well until he said, look, the major problem we face is that the country is going to fall apart in 10 years when the debt increases above a certain level. And he said, we just can't handle that debt. The debt service, the interest on the debt alone will consume too much of our budget. And he said, we have got to be specific about cuts we're going to make in Social Security. And I said, you can't cut Social Security, Paul. You're going to lose. He said, well, we don't have to do it right now, but we have to do it out in the seventh and eighth and ninth year of the 10-year budget plan I'm obliged to submit. I said, that means you lose five years of elections. And he insisted, he said, this is the right thing to do. I've got to do it, and, uh, and it'll well, make it popular. Well, he crashed and burned. He was thrown out as speaker. And uh, the Republican Party lost uh, election after election because, in large part, of the fear of cutting Social Security. Now Biden, right on schedule, like he was awakened by an alarm clock at the huh. State of the Union speech, spoke about cutting Social Security and cutting Medicare. I believe that that is that that when DeSantis picked that up 
and proposed that and supported that and voted for the Ryan plan in 2013 and in 2015 as a congressman. I think he absolutely killed his campaign. Uh, and uh, it's going to be the big issue, the overwhelming issue in the campaign uh, because people need their Social Security. They need their Medicare, and they do not want to screw around with it. Uh, so I believe that this is going to be the essential element in the campaign. Um, let's, uh, the, I, I think, and I think that if, they, if, if DeSantis persists in this, uh, he's going to get clobbered. Uh, now, what Mike is his Pence, benefit, Dick? Dick, what is his benefit for doing this? Well, he claims yeah, that Dick. it's fiscally responsible. He says he can't. We have a $31 trillion debt. We've got to bring it down, and, and it's the only way to do it. Well, the fact of the matter is that, yeah, we have a $31 trillion debt, and we have about a trillion dollars a year deficit. And we spend about $800 billion a year on Social Security and another – I'm sorry, $1.2 trillion a year on Social Security and $800 billion a year on Medicare. That's $2, $2 trillion. But our budget is $5 trillion. So there's $3 trillion on stuff that's not Medicare and not Social Security. For example, Medicaid uh, – during the COVID epidemic, the government said everybody can be covered by Medicaid because of COVID. And they said, just come in and sign up. We won't even ask for your income. It's supposed to be a program for poor people. We won't even ask how much money you make. And the number of people on Medicaid soared from 70 million to 91 million during the COVID period. Wow. But Congress never authorized them to take it uh, to, except as an emergency measure. Now they have to go back to demanding income proof. And 20 million people are going to be kicked off Medicaid over the course of the next year or two. Those kinds of cuts are what you have to do to stop the debt from piling up. Don't take Medicare money, which is essentially the amount you and I invest every year when we pay the Medicaid tax and when we pay the FICA tax. Don't use that money to cover welfare spending where we're taking money, yeah. Well, you cut other things. You have huge right. amount of of waste in the government. Huge amount of garbage, like the Medicaid thing I just talked about. Disability right. benefits are skyrocketing. The number of people on disability because they don't even ask for a medical exam anymore. And when right. the government appeals the Medicaid, the decision to cover somebody, ninety uh, percent of the time the court rules in favor. Of the, of the beneficiary. So those kinds of programs need to be cut, but keep your hands off Social Security. So give us a call at 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. When we come back, I'm going to describe a, the, I'm going to talk about the first person to run against Joe Biden in the Democratic primary. I've been saying for a while that if Biden is opposed, even by Donald Duck, he's going to be in big trouble. And now somebody considerably stronger than Congressman Duck is going to run. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle. 
I've been saying for a while that Joe Biden can be defeated in a Democratic primary for president. Uh, the polling shows, according to McLaughlin, when you ask people, who would you vote for in the Democratic primary? And you list a million candidates. Uh, and you list a million candidates. You find that uh, Biden gets only 25 percent of the vote and the other candidates Amazing. split 75. Michelle Obama is second at 14. Buttigieg is third at eight. And everybody else is in single digits. Hillary, AOC, Cory Booker, Klobuchar, Warren, name them. There are a million of them. And they're all in single digits. But the point is, 75% do not vote for Joe Biden. And even when you ask That's Democrats, amazing. should Biden run again? Uh, 38% say yes, but two-thirds say no. So he obviously can be beaten in a Democratic primary, but nobody has the guts to, to, to run. And right. it's been a situation where everybody looks at everybody else and says, you go first. No, no, I'm saying yeah, you go first. <laughs> right. And, and nobody's willing to run. Nobody's willing to no. take it on. And now the first candidate has emerged as an alternative to Joe Biden. And her name is Marianne Williamson. You may remember her from the last presidential campaign. She uh, talked about alternatives to the party structure. She spoke about the politics of love, which is her thing. Uh, she's a spiritualist. She's a uh, a, a, a moralist, uh, a futurist. Uh, she's written like 14 books, including four bestsellers. She appears on Oprah all the time. A moralist, a futurist? What are those? I, well, she's spiritual. And the oh, big okay. thing she does is she, there's a book that she wrote called The Course in Miracles. And she right. teaches it. And the idea is to see a miracle in everything that goes on in life. And, uh, Ob and uh, Oprah has her on all the time. She's got a very big following, um, tens and tens of millions of people. And uh, she's bringing that, those ideas into politics among her books so called The Politics of Love and how we have to stop hating each other and stop tearing each other down. And politics can't be as vicious and as personal as it is. And uh, we have to find areas in which we agree, areas that can unite us. Don't yeah, wait until she gets in, into politics, and let's, let's see what she does, right? <laughs> well, she's, yeah. she's getting in, and, uh, right. and everybody says she has no chance to win. And uh -huh. I don't think that that's, I think it's true she's not going to win, but I think that she will poll very well. And if she gets to the primary, she'll run very well. Because she's not named dope Joe Biden. She's not 80 years old. She's not senile. She's not right. decrepit. She's a very attractive woman. I think she's in her early 60s. She's what a, state? A, a California, I think. Uh-huh. She, she's very articulate. She's very presentable. And she does, she's very much not Joe Biden. But right. it would take a miracle. mechanic mike and a mechanics oh that's it okay uh, yeah. and and i think that williamson is going to poll very well uh she's just the kind of figure that politicians don't know anything about but voters and people do if there's anybody out there who's 
heard of her or knows about her, call me, 800-848-9222. Want to get your thoughts about her, 800-848-9222. And uh, I think that she's got a tremendous chance of of screwing up the Biden campaign. Remember what happened in 1968, those of you who are old enough for read history. Everybody was opposed to the Vietnam War. And Johnson was supporting it, and everybody wanted to get rid of Johnson as the Democratic candidate. Not everybody, but the bulk of the Democratic voters did. But nobody would challenge him. Bobby Kennedy, who was opposed to the war, said, I'm not going to divide the party, and George McGovern wouldn't do it, and all kinds of other politicians. None of these senators would do it. They were all anti-war, but they wouldn't step up and challenge Johnson. And then a guy nobody heard of, Eugene McCarthy, a senator from Minnesota, uh, got up and said, I'm going to run against Biden because I want there to be a referendum on the Vietnam War. I want people to be able to vote on it, and that's why I'm going to run against Johnson. And he began to pick up tremendous steam. I worked for him. I went to New Hampshire by bus, and I ran Nashua, New Hampshire for him. And, uh, I didn't know that, Dick. You didn't tell me that. Yeah, I did. I did. Oh. And uh, and we uh, and we worked very hard, and the results were miraculous. Uh, we uh, got Biden. Uh, I'm sorry, um, McCarthy Johnson. got 43 percent of the vote against Johnson, which was huge. And then it was such momentum that he then won the Wisconsin primary two weeks later. And as soon as he won Wisconsin. Uh, Kennedy came in and Johnson dropped out and the war began, was on its way to winding down after Nixon was elected. But uh-huh. I think that this this may repeat itself now. I think that, that Williamson will spark new people coming in, will show right. Biden's vulnerability. Uh, you, the new candidates won't be the first one to say the emperor has no clothes. It'll be pretty apparent to everybody. And I think she has a hell of a shot of making this work. And I think it's wow, it's great. enormously important that she got into the race. Now, the media is not going to cover it. They're going to poo-poo her as an anti-vaxxer. And by the way, that did was... She, did, did she announce? She actually announced? No, but she said she she said she's going to run. And she okay. will schedule an announcement. And uh, and I think, I think that it's going to be very significant. The media is not covering her because they're afraid of her. But... Uh, I think that, but it's the kind of thing where 25, 35% of the American people know who she is and like her. And uh, I think she sold like 5 million copies of her books. So wow. um, I think that, that she bears watching. So um, let's go to our friend Judith. Oh, Judith. We'll, Hi, Judith. Judith, yeah, I think we'll take you later, okay? Because I'm going to talk about WHO in the next segment, okay? So stick on the phone. Uh, Aldo in Allentown. Hey, Aldo. Hey, Dick. God bless you and your sidekick. That yeah. rhymes. Hey. Oh, by the way, Hi, Dick, Aldo. you said that McCarthy stepped up and said, I'll run against Biden. I'm sorry, against Johnson. Johnson. But then again, Biden's been around in politics yeah. since LBJ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in oh, fact, so Biden was really one of the people the that might have run against Johnson. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> And then yeah. all the it really wasn't a slip, was it? Dick? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so the uh, so I think that this is a very major development, and I think that uh, I think that we have to pay attention for it to it. 
Now, Good. when I come back, I'm going to talk about the greatest threat to our liberty we have, uh, an unbelievable threat that nobody is talking about. Nobody. You don't see it. In the, that in, yeah. You don't see it in the networks. You don't even see it on Fox. The only people who are talking about it are me. And uh, I just talked about it on my show on Newsmax yesterday. It'll be on later today, as soon as I'm off at one o'clock. Yeah, one o'clock. And uh-huh. and it uh, and it really is an incredible threat to our liberty. Uh, I'll talk about it when I come back. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. Good. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Salute the new Fuhrer, the new leader, Big Brother, the World Health Organization, WHO. The World Health Organization tomorrow. Monday, February 27th, is going to host a gathering of 194 nations, including the U.S., and all of them, including the U.S., are going to sign a treaty. And the treaty gives the World Health Organization the power to step in in the event of a pandemic and assume dictatorial powers over the people of the world. Dictatorial powers over the people of the world. The WHO will decide when there's a pandemic. They will order lockdowns. They will order quarantines. They will decide if schools should be closed. They will decide if everybody should have to get a vaccine. They will even be empowered to police the media and crack down on anyone that is spreading disinformation or misinformation about the pandemic. Dictatorial powers by the World Health Organization. Who are you? World Health Organization, WHO. It's control it's heavily influenced by the Chinese. Uh, they provide a huge portion of the funding. And uh, WHO is the entity that first said that there was no way that the uh, COVID virus was caused by by human error. A passing bat bit somebody in the Wuhan lab and carried it all over the place to the rest of the human race. And uh, we're supposed to buy that. And when WHO was forced by the U.S., which used to be a member, Trump pulled it out, Biden put us back in, uh, they, the Chinese wouldn't let investigators in. They wouldn't let anyone cooperate with them. They wouldn't let any of their people talk to them. And the, the commission issued a statement saying we can't tell if their role because they won't cooperate. Then China came back and, and said they would cooperate and they launched a new investigation. 
but the Chinese reneged on their words. They wouldn't open the doors. And literally, the commission just a week ago said, we give up. We can't prove that we can't determine how this epidemic started. And that's the World Health Organization sponsoring that. Horrible. And they will acquire virtually dictatorial powers over the country. And here's worse. They will be empowered to decide what is and what is not a pandemic. And a lot of leftists are saying that anything that's in the biosphere that can harm human health is a pandemic. So climate change is a pandemic. Racism is a pandemic. Problems with fisheries because of acidification of the ocean, that's a pandemic. All of these are pandemics, and any one of them can confer upon us the powers in this treaty. And the United States, the U.S. of A., is signing this treaty tomorrow. And because it's an executive agreement among presidents, not officially a treaty, Biden says that he doesn't have to submit it to the Senate for ratification. And at the moment, he's not planning to. So the, we will surrender these powers. Uh, you talk about what the schools should be closed. It won't be up to the school board. It'll be up to the World Health Organization. Uh, how long will lockdowns take place? They will decide. What's a, uh, what's a pandemic and what isn't? They will decide. Yeah, who are you? How do you get the power to make these decisions? How did you get the United States to sign away its liberty with this agreement that everybody's going to sign on Monday? And the reason is that the news media did not cover it. Nobody talked about it. And it's, it's advancing in stealth and in secret. And yet, if there's a no pandemic, they're going to control everything. And the got people that decide whether the thing is a pandemic or not is the World Health Organization. So they can declare a pandemic whenever they want. Uh, they could have declared the, uh, the the swine flu, the um, I'm forgetting the name, the thing that that largely affected gay people that they were saying is a is an epidemic coming out of Africa. They can do say anything they want is a pandemic, and they can invoke these powers and set up a worldwide dictatorship largely based on the pandemic. Let's now go to Judith of Brooklyn, who had the prescience to raise this issue in her question. Hi, Judith. Oh, hi. You basically took away a lot of what I wanted to say about the WHO. And as far as you saying who is the WHO, well, they are World Health Organization, but I call them the World Hazardous Organization because they lied. They protected China at the expense of millions of people's lives all over the world. That's who the who is, okay? They're not trustworthy. And you know something else? Yeah, and we're going to lose our freedom on, on, on all these decisions. And he, Biden, is trying to surpass Congress and secretly go ahead with this. Yep. And you know what? Everyone should call their congressmen and object, you know, to this because it's happening tomorrow. And it's, a, it's, it's terrible. I also want to tell you something because you took away my thunder on who. You know, you were talking about defectors from Trump to uh, DeSantos. I have to say, very important, 
Trump has earned our loyalty to him, okay? This is not blind loyalty. He has a track record that speaks for itself, okay? So he has earned our loyalty, and no Trump supporters should should defect from him because he is the master, and he he deserves it. He earned it. That's true. Uh, Thank you, Judith. Let's go to Gail in Dutchess County. Hi, Gail. Thank you, Miss. Hi, hi. Thank you for taking my call, Mr. Morris. Thank you. A, a, a couple of things. Um, you know, you know, they I keep hearing them talk about, you know, they're going to cut Social Security and Medicare and whatever by a certain date. Okay? You know, these people worked 35 years of their life when there was a work ethic. All right? And and that's all that a lot of them have to live on. Yeah. I mean, if they cut them off, what, what are they supposed to live on? There, there's going to be a civil a, a chaos, yeah. anarchy, a war. Well, let me let me be clear. Nobody's proposing to cut them off. What uh, but what uh, DeSantis is proposing is to make them work until they're 70 in order to get benefits. And uh, and the fact is that in today's labor market, uh, you often get fired when you're 45 or 50 and uh, you can't find another job because it goes to younger people. And with the pay, the pay that they have to give somebody who's older, uh, they're afraid of it, and they're also afraid of being sued for age discrimination. So, so plenty of people uh, are needing to retire and needing to collect their social security, and won't be able to if DeSantis has his way, and he postpones the retirement age to seventy. Um, so, I think that this is is very very important. Now, um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about Ukraine. Uh, I'm changing my position on Ukraine. I'm changing my mind. Uh, I believe that there has to be a solution to this war. I believe that the, we can't let this war continue, and the United States has to use its leverage to stop this war. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump, and now... He's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Doug, you had a question, I think. Yeah. Um, back in the Clinton years, did he help China get into the WHO? Do I know? Am I wrong about that? Yeah, I kind of no, remember you're, that. You're thinking of the WTO. The World right, Trade right, right. The trade organization, yeah. right. Okay. Now, they were in WHO from the beginning, I think. I, I mean, right. once the U.S. recognized them and Nixon stopped recognizing Taiwan. But right. I think that the, that, that the WHO is basically a powerless group of people who would write reports about world health and stuff like that. Not and, after and they, tomorrow. No. And they were very helpful in dealing with malaria in the third world and, right. and dealing, eradicating polio and where it was still remained. And, uh, they were, they were basically good guys, but then they were taken over by the woke left and they are now an instrument of global tyranny. Everything that you thought was happening during the pandemic, when they made you wear masks, when they made you get shots, when they made the schools be closed and they made you homeschool and all of that, a lot of people were really paranoid and said this is the beginning of a takeover of our liberty by right. the global Power grab. Yeah. 
The power and, grab. And I, I didn't agree with them. I said, God, you guys are just way overreacting. So no, don't wear the I mask. You know, go to school or go to homeschool. But yeah. now it is clear that this was the opening step in a plan to create yep. a world dictatorship using oh, the wow. excuse of a pandemic. Because there'll always be a pandemic. Uh, climate change could be a pandemic. They said oh. racism could be a pandemic. That's literally a quote from them. And How they does that just, happen? Well, they said anything which affects world health uh, adversely can be a pandemic. And uh, racism affects the, the health of black people, and therefore it becomes a potential pandemic. And they oh. use anything they want to call it that to give them the power that it gives you. And it is just, just mm-hmm. unbelievable and very, very, very dangerous. This is dangerous. It really is. I spoke to wow. Trump. I spoke to Trump last night about it, and he he knew about it vaguely, but not at length. And I sent him a, a, my thoughts on it. And I think he may speak out about it. Uh, this this is just a horrible, horrible invasion of our of our liberties. It's going to be tyranny. It's what it's going to be. Yeah, that's right. In our own best interests, to our own good. Right. Unbelievable. It's not, a pol- it's not a police state. It's a police world they're doing. Yeah, exactly. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Good point. <laughs> okay, now let's go for the next topic. Let's go to Ralph in New Jersey. Hey, Ralph. Well, you know, I thank you once again, Mr. Morris. Um, You know, um, in the global stage, Joseph Biden do have a challenger or, or is being challenged right now with, you know, the Sino-Russo alliance and what is currently happening in Ukraine, okay? Um, do, do not ever fall for the peace plan of China, because in my opinion, that is nothing but a, a guise, a ploy, a gambit by China to divert well, us. Forget, what they are. Forget, that it's, forget whether it's China's plan or, or some other plan. Look, this is the situation in Ukraine. Russia invaded Ukraine to try to take over the country, and that was horrible. We were exactly right to fight it and to beat it, and thank God the Ukrainians did. And thank NATO and thank the U.S. and thank Trump, because he armed NATO, for providing the weaponry that makes, made it possible for the Ukrainians to stop the Russian advance and then roll it back. And the Russians were defeated in their effort to take over the Ukraine. Over, done, goodbye. But the Russians continued to try to get the provinces in the south, Donetsk and um, Donetsk, and I'm forgetting the other name. And wow. those are largely Russian-speaking provinces that are part of Ukraine. And they got to be Russian-speaking because Stalin had a policy of forcing Russians to move to Ukraine to Russify it, to make it more, more Russian so that they could Russian. count on it as, a, as an ally and wow. as a satellite. And, and actually is part of Russia at that point. And the, uh, and the Russians withdrew to the east and the south where they had Russian-speaking population and where they had earlier claimed uh, control. And they announced that they were annexing those regions, making them part of Russia. And the idea was that then uh, Zelensky and Ukraine would be invading Russian territory because they had just annexed it. And that was totally phony. And then as soon as he did that, the Ukrainians attacked and captured some of the major towns in that region 
and captured large portions of those provinces. And now you have a situation where about 10 or 15% of Ukraine is controlled by the Russian army, and the rest of it is not. Uh, So you have 85% of Ukraine that's free, and 15% that's now being subjugated by the Russians. And for a year, for not, not, not quite a year, it's a year since they invaded, but say the last six months, there's been basically a battlefield stalemate, and both sides are arming up. Russia's, Russia's drafting 300,000 more men. Uh, the U.S. and NATO are going to be sending tanks to Ukraine, probably uh, F-15 aircraft, probably Patriot missiles, and everybody's ramping up for a longer war that could at some point go nuclear. And um, they were fighting like hell, basically not for the freedom of Ukraine, but for two provinces. So... Who, kind of who gives a damn, you know? Uh, we have to make sure that the Ukraine is free, that that Russian aggression is not rewarded, that the Russians are not able to just take over any country they want. But we've done that already. I believe that what we should do in Ukraine is the same thing we did in Korea, which is that we had a... I'm, I'm getting noise here. The same thing we did in Korea, which is that uh, at some point in 1951, 52, after the war had gone on for three years, we declared a truce based on the territory occupied by the armies at that moment. And the parallel, I think it's the 38th parallel, that divides them became the dividing line between North Korea and South Korea. It wasn't originally. It was after the war when well, it was before, but after the war, it became solid. And that or those ought to be the boundaries. There ought to be something called North Ukraine and South Ukraine, or West Ukraine and East Ukraine. And uh, they should be separate countries. They should have separate governance, separate military, leave each other alone, and let them each recover from the ravages of the war. Now, I think Zelensky would probably be willing to do that, but he can't because of domestic pressures. He's revved up everybody in Ukraine to go crazy about the importance of this war. And everybody's focusing on it. He's persuaded the Ukrainian people to make unbelievable sacrifices. We don't know how many Ukrainians have been killed in the war. We believe 60,000 Russians have been killed. So you got to assume maybe ten or 20,000 Ukrainians have been killed. And the, and they, they're not going to relax until Russia is completely thrown out of Ukraine. And that's nice to say. It's nice to have happen. If it had happened, that was fine. But they've had a year to do it, and they haven't been able to do it. And I believe the United States should adopt the position that they want a ceasefire based on the current lines, an armistice based on the current lines, and a political settlement based on those lines. And the United States should not be giving Ukraine a blank check to say, spend whatever you need, we'll send you whatever you need, uh, because we want you to win this war. Now, we have to send them enough so they can maintain their lines and so that they can stop Russia from taking over. So you got a balancing act going on here. But clearly, the United States and NATO, uh, on the one hand, and probably China on the other, need to pressure Ukraine and Russia 
to accept a ceasefire based on the current lines. I believe that politically, Putin and Zelensky both would like that solution. I think that both of them feel that it's not worth the amount of blood and danger to their own country and instability that it takes to try to completely finish this job and makes a nice rhetorical line, throw Russia out of Ukraine. Uh, But it's not possible. We haven't been able to do it, and we shouldn't be tempting fate by attacking Russia to a point where we can do it. And frankly, I don't much care. Uh, Let these countries be separate. Uh, If the people in East Ukraine want to be not under Russian control, move. Uh, just go across the border and resettle like the East Germans did, uh, and and the, and the South Koreans want North Koreans want to do. But let them be separate countries and let them get along in peace. You know, a war requires its own momentum. Um, I forget who it was. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I believe it was Gladstone, the Prime Minister of Britain in the 19th century, who said, the worst reason for being at war is that you're at war. <laughs> the worst reason for continuing a war is that you're at war and you can't settle it. You can't find your way out. And uh, a democracy like Ukraine uh, gets stuck because the people are insisting on a complete victory, and you won't stop until there is a complete victory. And, uh, it go on forever. It could. And the problem is that the only way to break the stalemate is with weaponry that could be effective for Ukraine but could provoke a Russian intervention. Russia basically can be forced to agree to a standstill ceasefire and armistice. And if the event that they invade another country, they're talking about Moldova or Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, they see now what will happen to them. They know that they'll be walking right into the teeth of NATO and the U.S. again. And we should be very explicit about that threat so they don't do that. But I believe that it makes no sense to sacrifice endless Ukrainian lives and like $150 billion dollars. I was talking to Trump yesterday, and he said, this guy Zelensky is a miracle worker. He's gotten the U.S. to commit $150 billion to him in a blank wow. check. Uh, and, and I think it made sense to do that when the invasion originally happened. But at this point, it probably doesn't make sense. Let's Look, go. Dick, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Well, one question I have for you. What, but the two leaders, who's the middleman? Who could pull this together? Well, is there anybody? There really isn't any. Uh, but what could happen is the U.S. could pressure Zelensky, uh, right. and Zelensky could propose it, and Russia could accept it. And the U.S. could make clear to Russia that if they don't accept it, uh, we're going to supply these arms and these tanks and these jets and these weapons, long-range right. rockets, to Ukraine. And the Good. U.S. could orchestrate this settlement, so we're not in the middle but we can do that using our power and using the amount of money we're giving them. 
by the way, right. people are saying it's NATO, but it's not. About 90% of this aid comes from the United States, 80 to 90%. 90%. Yeah, 90%. Eight, wow. Yeah, and maybe 80, but I mean the bulk of it. Right. And uh, the U.S. can use its leverage, use its clout to force a peace here. Um, not with the completely incompetent president we have, but maybe he could get the point. Let's go to John in Staten Island. Hey, John. How you doing, Mr. Morris? Good. I was going to mention that uh, with Biden being the chamberlain of what he is and what he is, he's not uh, Churchill. Yep. What he did when uh, Putin attacked Ukraine was cause this world war yep. scenario. Because he never let, oh, actually, he never went to the UN, which was supposed to be the controlling body. And that we're all worse than that, John, he said, Biden said, you know, if they just take a little bit of territory, if it's just a small incursion, we're not going to go crazy about it. You're such an idiot. And that told Putin, go ahead, do what you want. In 1948, Dean Acheson, Secretary of State, gave a speech. We said the vital interests of the United States are to defend Japan, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, the Philippines, and he left North, left South Korea off the list. And as soon as he left it off the list, that was a green light to Stalin, who told uh, North Koreans and Chinese invade, and that started the Korean War. And Biden's comment that we don't care if it's a small incursion, that absolutely gave Putin the green light that he needed and started this war. Uh, it's to say nothing about the unpreparedness of the United States in this situation. Imagine Trump, what he would have said, huh? Yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go to Tony and Clifton. Hello, Mr. Morris. Uh, stunning, stunning conversation. I think of a man like Theodore Roosevelt, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for... Uh, you know, holding off the war between Japan and Russia. And here is where I, here, here it is now that as I look at President Trump, who I desire to be the next president, I see in him a peacemaker. And so I started the call by saying that his platform is a peace platform, but it, but it's a peace and prosperity platform. And there's no other man who has been able to do this. Yep. And for what he did in Israel alone, he should have won a Nobel Peace Prize. Yep. Right. You're absolutely Get right. Getting rid of ISIS, he should have won a Peace Prize. Yeah, getting rid of ISIS was key. But the other thing is what he did in Israel, and people don't yeah. really understand that. Ah. Everybody told Israel, you got to make peace with the Arabs on the basis of peace with the Palestinians. And yeah. uh, Netanyahu said, I can't, one hand can't clap, you know. I, I can't make peace unless there's a partner willing to make peace with me. And the right. uh, Palestinians are intent on the destruction of Israel. They'll never accept a two-state solution. So how the hell am I going to make peace? And then huh? Trump said, well, forget about the Palestinians. Let's go to the people that are paying for them, funding them. The Saudis, right. Kuwait, Qatar, the, uh, the Adan, the guys who are actually putting up the money here and get them to pull their support from these Palestinians and to uh, work with Israel to stop this this conflict. And uh, the Gulf states started to do it. The Saudis were about to do it when, bang, Biden got elected and the whole thing dropped dead. That was brilliant. 
But Trump will pick it up when he finishes, and he's got the solution. Look, the combination of Egyptian manpower, they have the big population, Israeli technology, and Saudi and Gulf states' money is irresistible, and you deploy that against Iran, and Iran is going to be forced to back down. So uh, I think that, yeah, he did deserve the Nobel Prize, but Obama got it instead for doing absolutely nothing before he even took office. Yeah. Right, nothing. Yeah. Uh, Let's go to Maureen in Connecticut. Yeah, hi, Dick. Um, I I wanted to challenge you because you seem to want to support Ukraine. However... Um, in 2014, the U.S. went in there and destabilized a democratically elected uh, government. No, and then, no, um, no, 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 no. Totally untrue. I was there, Maureen, on the ground in Ukraine. We overthrew a dictatorship that had been put in there by the Russians uh, that was corrupt and horrible and was called the Orange Revolution. People took to the streets to demand democracy. And don't let anyone feed you a line of crap saying that that was... U.S. intervention. The U.S. had nothing to do with it. I was probably the only American in the Ukraine. And uh, we fought, and we and the Ukrainians did this by themselves. I love Ukraine. I want to support it. Good but I you, don't Dick want Morris. them to cause a world war. Right. Well, that's my show. Thank you. See that's you next enough. week. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.